are so many things that I want to talk about this morning before we dive into God's Word together. If you have your Bibles, you can turn uh, to Luke. We're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke this morning, uh, starting in chapter 1. But before we dive in, just so that I don't forget, can I just take a moment this morning and honor the pastors of this campus? Wow, wow, wow. Just like Pastor Elizabeth said, what a week we have had. What a week that we have had. I want to take a moment and honor Pastor Karen for the love and commitment that she gives to our kids and for our building, for our ladies event that just happened. Absolutely incredible. Uh, Pastor Sam, this past week, uh, we had a, a youth Christmas banquet, so youth in junior high, where they had over 240 students. They had a waiting list, busted open the waiting list, just crowded it all together. And uh, Pastor Sam, Pastor Angela, and then also Pastor Tristan out in Cornwall. They did such a phenomenal, phenomenal job. My son came home full and happy, and uh, I just want to give them a shout out. Pastor Sarah, uh, who just continues to absolutely inspire uh, each and every Sunday. Her really big season is just starting, so please keep her in prayer as we dive into the Christmas season. It's all smile and joy for us, but it is choir practices and Christmas practices and all sorts of different things. And then Pastor Elizabeth, what a blessing she has been for us in this past season. Amen? Absolutely incredible. From our Tuesday night discipleship nights to getting our Alpha up and running, it has been such an awesome, awesome season. So I did want to just take a moment just out of response uh, of that amazing video, just for my own staff and for those who call Life Center Canada home, what a team we have. What a team. What a team. This week was absolutely incredible, as Pastor Elizabeth has already said, um, but it is Christmas. It is Christmas. I don't know if you can tell by my shirt, um, but I am feeling particularly festive today. My younger son came to me as uh, uh, they walked into the room. He's like, Dad, can I wear that shirt this week? I said, yes. There's nothing wrong, right? Like I, it, I tell you, it makes you feel a special type of way when your younger son, who doesn't always look at you anymore like you're the coolest, is like, Dad, I I want to wear your clothes. I'm like, yes. Yes, so good. So today marks the very beginning of our Christmas season. You're going to be hearing uh, just so much Christmas joy coming out of this building for the next month. Uh, we have a couple of special things for each and every one of you before you leave each and every week. Uh, but more so than that, one of the things that we are praying for is that the hope of joy, the hope of Christ, the hope of peace would really settle into our hearts this this season. I know for many of us, these last couple of weeks, maybe it just feels like this last season has been particularly tough. The amount of people that I know that have been, that have gotten sick and then gotten better only to get sick again. Woo! Like it just keeps coming in waves when people are like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sick. I'm like, yeah, you and everybody else. Like, don't worry. It's okay. It feels like we're just all in this together. And, and there just seems to be that sense. And I've talked about it before from the stage of, uh, of just a heaviness this season, but I am praying over these next four weeks that there would be a lightness in our step, 
that there would be a joy that we would be able to rise to each and every day, that the Spirit of God would settle so deeply on our hearts that people would wonder why we have that smile just plastered across our face, right? That's my prayer. My prayer is that you get cut off in traffic and they look at you and you're just smiling ear to ear, right? And they can't explain it. They're expecting other things and you're just, and you just whisper, Merry Christmas, Right? Just let them go on their way. Like, that's my prayer. My prayer is that you would tell your kids for the 15th time that same thing that you told them, and they would look at you, and you'd be like, I don't know why. Like, inside, like, I know I'm supposed to be feeling other things, but I'm so happy, and I love you so much, right? I just, that's my prayer in this season, is that we would experience a season of overwhelming joy of a love that would settle so deep in your hearts because the beautiful thing about Christmas is that we are going to talk week after week after week of the most important thing in our lives. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about him being sent from heaven for our, on our behalf. We're going to talk about these beautiful moments of, uh, of significance as prophecy is fulfilled in the Old Testament, as the story of the Bible just really takes hold in the world and comes to life, as hope is not only given to the world, but it is born into it. And so this morning, we want to talk about hope. We want to talk about hope and encourage you that today that we can surrender to faith. Amen? This morning, we can surrender to faith. We can surrender our lives to faith in Christ because what we surrender to is significant. Craig Rochelle, a very prominent pastor in the States, uh, said this. He said that you don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. That's so good. That's so good. You don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. This is something, especially in this most recent season, that I've really felt God trying to teach me, right? To release control. Anyone else, that's super hard, right? Like you just like, like you know how things should go, right? And if God would listen, right, things could like... Maybe you've never had that conversation. You can come and talk to me afterwards. But I've had that conversation before where I'm like, God, like, look, it's, it's super easy. Let's just do it like this. People will love it. God, no? Okay, right? But we don't always have the power to control, but we always have the power to surrender. And surrender in our lives is significant. See, we have a choice in this month. To surrender to hope or hopelessness. To surrender to faith or fear. To surrender to wonder or worry. Our faith follows our focus. And so in this season, let us not lose our focus on Jesus. That we would have a hope that would last all season long. This morning, we're going to begin telling the Christmas story by seeing the intersecting stories of those who were involved in the very first Christmas. So let's set the scene and talk about Hebrew stories. The scene is, is that it's been hundreds of years since God has been present within human history. He is there, but he's silent. 
There hasn't been a prophet that has been sent to God's people in a long, long time. People are wondering where God is as they're under Roman captivity. These Israelites, these Jewish people are constantly looking for God to send another prophet, send another word. And yet he's there, but he's silent. Hebrew stories are often told on these three levels. The top level is this. It's the big picture of how God is at work. The middle level is how God was redeeming a people for his name. And then the bottom is the individual narrative specifics. And you can follow this type of literature all the way through the, the Old Testament to hear in, in Luke. God has been at work redeeming all of humanity that was lost from the fall since Genesis chapter 3. He's worked in a single person, different people groups, prophets, priests, kings. He's worked through tents, laws, a sacrificial system of forgiveness, all redeeming the most precious thing humanity has lost, unfettered access to God's presence. This God at work story is evident in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, a barren couple, but then they have a only God moment and a breakthrough. God breaks through the silence. This is a familiar theme that's present in scripture, and we'll see it again today. In Luke chapter 1, 5 to 7, it says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. After hundreds of years of silence, God breaks through into the story. The next redemption chapter suddenly begins to unfold in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They had been praying for a child, believing that God was going to make a way where there seemed to be no way, and yet God remained silent. But even in his silence, he heard their prayers. Church, can I encourage you this morning? As we enter into this, this season of unfettered smiles and joy, God hears your prayers this morning. See, sometimes there's actually a beauty in the silence. Amen? Sometimes there's actually a beauty in the silence. See, one of the beautiful things about silence is I believe that God enjoys being pursued. I believe that God enjoys being pursued, that there's times in your relationship with God where God will actually sit in those moments of silence because he loves to hear your voice. He loves that interaction that you're providing, that engagement that you're giving through prayer. Maybe you've been in this situation before or in this season before where God just seems to be silent and you continue to lean in and you continue to lean in. Beloved, we need to remember that he works in mysterious ways. And his ways are not our ways. See, I can't tell you the amount of times that people, especially in my home, call my name and my silence is not appreciated. There was some laughter in the front row over here that was, you know, a little, a little too real, a little too real. There's times in my home where people will call my name and my silence is not appreciated. Answer me when I'm talking to you, please, right? I've heard that come out of the, the mouth of my nine-year-old before. Would you please? And I'm like, well, I'm nodding my head. They're like, we're in another room. We can't see that. 
But there's different instances in our relationship with God where I actually believe that silence from God can be beautiful. See, in our own relationships one-on-one, we need that interaction to know whether or not the other person is listening. Church, you don't need that interaction to know whether or not God is listening. Your God hears you. When the heavens open up and God's voice booms into your soul, he is listening. When you go before God and, and, and you bear your heart before him and, and, and there's only silence, he is listening. See, there's a beauty in the pursuit sometimes in our relationship with God. God knows because he knows us better than he knows our, than we know ourselves. I got there. Doop, doop, doop. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Is that if he answers us the very first time that we call, Maybe we're prone to stop calling. But God's silence is not neglect, amen? God's silence is not him ignoring us. God's silence is actually him engaging with us. Listen, even though God hadn't appeared for hundreds of years in the Israelite context, he was not blind to their plight. He was not ignorant to what it was that they were walking through. He saw them each and every day, and they didn't know what his plan was, but his plan never changed. His plan was for salvation. His plan was for redemption. His plan was always and still is to this day is for his son to stand in the gap for us. And so Luke chapter 1, 8 8 to 13, God begins to break this silence. It says this, Now while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And they appeared to, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name. John. Let's focus on how Zechariah responds. His faith, if you will, follows his focus. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Well, who is Zechariah? Zechariah is a priest in the temple. He's offering incense, prayers to God. An angel shows up by the altar of incense, which holds atonement significance within the temple. Of all Zechariah could have focused on, he focused not on what God could do, but what he and Elizabeth could do. What we as a people hold to when God speaks holds great significance, but it's not the ultimate stuff. God is over all. Luke tells us the story of Zechariah the priest, but it's really a biography about Jesus. He's, he's inviting Zechariah into this story, but at the center of it is not Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's not even their son John. It's who it is that John will usher the way for. Where Zechariah loses focus, God's gaze remains fixed. Where Zechariah is unfaithful, God is faithful. After all, it's who God is. 
Luke 1, 24 to 25, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. As God through, as God breaks through the silence, he begins with a couple who is unable to conceive, but the story doesn't stop there. It now shifts to another couple, not one who is unable to conceive, but one who should not yet be able to have a child. They are betrothed, but not married. What Luke wants us to do is to contrast these two stories. Zachariah should have been elated to hear from God that he and Elizabeth were going to have a baby. Instead, he heard from God and he was troubled. And Mary, as she hears from God, she, was, she is permitted to be appropriately and deeply troubled, but she responds quite differently. Zachariah, as God reveals himself, answers, well, how shall I know this? Elizabeth and I are old. There's a response of unbelief as Christine and Evelyn read this morning where God says, listen, because of your unbelief, you're actually going to enter into a a time of silence for yourself. But Mary has the same emotions. There's fear. There's deep trouble. But she never loses her focus on God. Her faith follows her focus. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Notice the subtle but profound difference. Zechariah responds, how can I trust this is true? This differs vastly from Mary's response of, how will God do this? And Mary said in Luke 1.38, And behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Wow. Mary's incredible. Like what a response. In Zechariah, we have a person who is engaged in the priesthood of believers who is tracking his family all the way back to, uh, to Aaron and Moses. And, and he has learned from a young age. He's now not so young in his years. And he is engaged in, in, in the temple and, and understanding what it takes to, to enter into this place. And he's gone through all the, the different sacrificial systems. And he understands so much about the things that God has put in place. And yet when God appears before him, his faith wavers. See, Mary, on the other hand, mother, many, many, many theologians believe that Mary would have been about 14 or 15 years old. She hasn't gone through all the, the priestly duties and the, the engagement at the temple. No, Mary has simply been betrothed to, to, to Joseph, 
She's ready to engage in this marriage that, that has been set up for her. She's ready to, to live the rest of her life with this man. And when, as God appears to Zechariah, he is, he's so confused, but we're old. How is this ever going to happen? God reveals himself to a 14-year-old girl who is still betrothed. She's still a virgin. And Mary says this, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Her faith follows her focus. What an incredible story of faith. My prayer is that Mary's story is a challenge for us today. See, Elizabeth gets the opportunity to celebrate what it is that God has promised to her, where even in her old age, she recognizes that being given the opportunity to bear a son, it's going to restore her reputation. She is no longer barren. Mary, on the other hand, she receives this information much differently. We'll see as it continues to track uh, through the story of the gospel that because of, uh, of what it is that God is about to bless her with, her family will abandon her. Because of what God is about to work through her, Joseph will wonder if he should even stay beside her. Mary has much to lose, but she knows who God is. Fourteen years of age, Mary boldly steps up and says, God, I trust you. I trust you. Because of her faith and her surrender, she gets the opportunity to partner with God to become the mother of Jesus himself. What a gift. But this was not easy for her. This took a great deal of surrender. Let us not miss that in the story of Mary. Zechariah, yes, he was, a ser he was serving the Lord, but Mary, Mary was a servant to the Lord. What we surrender is of great significance. We can surrender to hope or hopelessness, to faith or fear, to wonder or worry. Our response never stops God's grander story, but it impacts the story that we are writing. As a result of unbelief, Zechariah enters a season of silence. But as a result of her belief, Mary sings a song found within her song is hope for a weary world. Luke 1, 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Christmas is a story about God with us, not us with God. So today in every way, that we may be with God in specific ways that we might be fearful, worried, or plain busy looking, look, losing focus for tomorrow. But the story of Christmas isn't that we are always perfect with God. The story of Christmas is better. It is God in Christ through his spirit is forever with us. 
In just a moment, we're going to sing a final song today, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. But before we do, we want to share in communion together. If you haven't received your emblem today, if you just want to raise a hand really quickly, our amazing welcome team will see that hand. They're already moving from the back. Just continue to keep your hand up. They'll see you there. Today we have the opportunity to remember what it is that Jesus did on the cross. But if not for Mary's faith, amen? Church, if not for Mary's faith, a 14-year-old girl, unmarried, approached by the angel and told, you will bear the Son of God. Come on. If not for Mary's faith, where would we be today? Maybe you're here this morning and you've had that sense that God is calling you to something deeper. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been like Zachariah and Elizabeth. You've laid your life down before God saying, God, will you just show up in this one instance? I want to encourage you that in this Christmas season, we are believing for the miraculous. We are trusting that our faith in God is going to move a mighty mountain. We are trusting that even though you may not be able to see the sun through the clouds, that God is in his infinite wisdom, that his light is going to pierce through in this season. Church, I can feel it this morning. There is an excitement and a buzz in the air today. It's Christmas. And we are going to see God do a mighty work. So this morning... We want to take a moment and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. But before we do, can we collectively in this place remind ourselves that our faith follows our focus. And let's put Jesus at the center of it all. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here together in this place. God, I thank you for the season of Christmas. Jesus, I thank you for Mary, for the faith that this young lady showed in the midst of what would be so many questions to say, but I know he who lives in me, and I trust him. I trust the God of Moses and Abraham. And God, you did not leave her. You did not abandon her. Lord Jesus, you were so present through it all. So this morning, God, I lift up anyone in this room that has been placing their cares before you, God, or has sensed that call to walk deeper in relationship with you. God, I pray that fear would not stop us. God, I pray that worry would not bury us. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that disappointment would not hold us back. But instead, in all things, God, I pray that faith, that hope, that joy, that peace would grow in this place today. And so, God, forgive us this morning of anything in our lives that should not be there, Lord Jesus. Anything in our lives that is separating us from you, God, we will not doubt today. But instead, God, we stand together to say that you and you alone are more than enough. And so, God, as we remember, would you be present in this room with us today? In Jesus' name.
In 1 Corinthians, Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, said, this is what I have received, that this bread, which is broken for you, that Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he broke this bed, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. This Christmas season, we celebrate the birth of Christ, but that birth is pointed straight to the cross. God with us, God for us. And so this morning, church, let us remember that body that was broken for us. Let's eat this morning. First Corinthians, Paul wrote in the same manner, he took the cup, saying, this cup is my, is my blood, which was poured out for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning we proclaim his birth, but we also remember his death. Let's partake this morning. morning, God, before we close the service and song, we lift up your name once again. Thank you, God, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what it is that we can hold to so closely in Scripture. That, God, you saw Zechariah and Elizabeth so they had served well and placed their cares before you and you met their need, God. But you also saw Mary, Lord. Just a young girl, not born into any sense of wealth. But God, you gave her the greatest gift that mankind has ever received. Your son. And so this morning, Lord God, I pray that you would fill us with a joy, with a love, with a peace that would go beyond all understanding, that we would see you afresh in this season, God. Lift our hearts before you, God. Lord, I pray that our eyes would be lifted to the heavens, Lord, that we would constantly over this month say, I know where my help comes from. So this morning, God, we turn our eyes upon Jesus. In your heavenly name, amen.